clear. Stand by. Stage reset at House Lights. Thanks, team, for another great show. I'll see you all backstage. This is Designed to Change Backstage Conversations. Pierre, we're back in the backstage. We were just on stage and it was our formal questioning environment. How did the questions make you feel that we addressed just now from claiming time in the onstage part? Well, I don't, I, I certainly, I wasn't troubled by it, to be honest. And I guess it has to do with the fact that, you know, the work we've done together has made me a lot more agile talking about this topic. And, you know, everybody's different, but to me, the, you know, the structure around it, you know, gives clarity, gives a bit agility. That's, that's how I, that's how I felt. I felt, you know, like um, very, very comfortable. Hmm. I feel that many of the people that we run into when they're trying to claim time, which is the topic we addressed, sometimes it makes them feel quite insecure to have to claim time for design ahead of time, because it almost feels like. I'm imposing something that I should be able to do on my own for a group of people that are the event owner. Uh, now I'm reversing the roles and saying, well, you welcome the problem, you explore the problem, you spend an amount of time doing that, you ask for a team to do that with you, and you're asking for the space to actually spend 1% of the total event time thinking about the problem and coming up with prototypes of the solution. Many people in our industry, and this is people that do maybe events primarily, also notice that, for instance, people in your line of work might not consider themselves event owners or, you know, as soon as they hear the word event, they start fading out and go, oh, but we have a department for that. That's something that we outsource to a vendor or it's, it's a thing we do, but I don't do that. How, how because you, you've taken on the role of event ownership because it's a change initiative and you see the behavior change is something that needs to be done over time. You've taken this you know, method to the madness, as Paul Wilkins likes to call it, our executive babysitter. He, he likes to call it, you know, method to the madness, because some people consider owning an event madness. You know, it's full of risk. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It displaces opportunity costs of other things you could be doing. Do you, do you empathize with some of these people in the events industry or with people in events departments in larger organizations? Or what do you think we should change there? Yeah, so I think that if, if, if I, if, if I may, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this in two different ways, and may, maybe it's not appropriate, but it helps me go, you know, answer your question. So when you, you know, when you are an organization that, you know, design events kind of for a living, if you will, right, versus when you're task, uh, tasked with designing internal events, you know, I, the first part, the first category, I don't know a lot about, right? So I, but I'm going to speak from the one where you're, you're part of what you need to do is to design these events as part of your, you know, your, your, your role, or I actually, you own that responsibility, whether you do it or not yourself, 
that one is the one that I'm more comfortable uh, talking about. Mm-hmm. And you know what? What I I keep I keep coming back to, you know, these sort of you know concentrated circle around, you know, what? How do we want to engage with our customers? Is very similar or should be very aligned as to how we want to engage among ourselves, because a customer is someone that you want to adopt a certain behavior, mm-hmm. right? When you when everything is said and done, you know that's what you're trying to do, and uh, you know to do that successfully and to compete, you know, uh, well you need to do the same thing internally. Right. I mean, you were gone are the days that, you know, we've got the recipe book and, you know, we're going to be out there and doing the same thing for 25 years and, you know, we'll, we'll be successful. So the same way that, you know, the customer is constantly solicited, other competitor wants to, a different behavior. You want, you know, the behavior that's right for your organization. So that dynamic inside and outside is, 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 a, is a circular reference, right? If, I mean, if the if the customer is constantly solicited to change their behavior, you're trying to get you know what you want, and that that playing field evolves constantly. Then that means internally, thing has to happen. And in fact, you you kind of need to have the the internal circle, you know, one set larger, if you want to stay ahead of the game. You know, you need to surround that customer with a, a larger circle of internal change. So. When I think about it that way, and you know, people realize, you know, the, the entire organization really has that that understanding of, you know, our job is to stay ahead by constantly changing, you know, faster and in the right direction than the competition. Then that claiming time is not is not either intellectually or you know, emotionally difficult. It's what you do. I think, that's, I think that's very encouraging for many, many of our listeners, I think, will, will find that insight enlightening because <clears throat> there is a, I sense that there's a distinct fear for people to have to claim time to think about the problem. And then, and then especially when you have to claim it with a group of people to do it together, because design is not a solo sport, right? You need a diverse group of people, diverse brains, diverse backgrounds, diverse cultures to think together because exponentially, I mean, the team we're designing with, with you is eight, seven, eight people, right? So the group is diverse from across the region, different backgrounds, different roles. It's also very encouraging, you know, and I like just to state that Pierre, in all of the design sessions, your team members are super engaged and connected to the subject matter because they care about cracking the, the challenge, right? There's like an intrinsic want and probably a deep down need for them to wrap their heads around this together, because together they know that they can kind of guide it in the right direction. So also the one thing that many times is forgotten, and maybe you could address that a little bit, is that you know, you've worked in very, very large organizations and this I would consider still a very large organization with you know, considering the size of the people that you're reaching. How do you think this would land differently in different types of size organizations? Is it easier in a very, very large company or is it less difficult in a smaller one or how do you see that? Yeah, I think that there, there's different challenges 
in 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 all types, right? But I would say that I, I, I don't have a lot of experience working in smaller organization. I would think that there, you know, the challenges are are related to to ban and to you know the fact that you've got you know so much so many things falling on the same people's shoulder that you know this could this couldn't become an afterthought in larger organization although you know i think where where i am today it's a it's a fairly lean organization that part is a bit is a bit easier however collaboration i would think is probably a little bit more obvious in in smaller organization than in larger organization so i think it may be a, a sort of a tug of war between bandwidth and, and collaboration if i you know that's what comes to my mind anyway and if you're blessed with an organization that truly you know walk the talk on collaboration even in a large organization then you know you find yourself in a you know pretty decent spot in when you are trying to drive change yeah because if you you know i think of you know when you think about it i mean sponsorship so alignment on you know the change that you want and collaboration are the two critical lever because you know you can't have one part of the organization changing and the rest it would not not change so that would negate any kind of potential benefit almost so so those two elements are i think really critical and if you look at how you ran across what we do, right, which I think that's probably through the collaboration part that maybe, can you tell us about that? Like how, how does that go? Yeah, I, well, in, 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 I've worked in environments where collaboration was, how can I say that superficial, hmm. you know, I, and I think the term the term that was used is uh, you know a fair amount of passive aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll show up, you know I'll you know I'll I'll bring some contribution, but then I'll you know I'll I'll go back and do whatever you know I think is right. And so genuine collaboration is 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 a completely different you know I, I think you know your audience will will know that it's a completely completely different feeling. It's it's coming to the table with an, a total open mind as to I don't, what are we going to decide together to do next. And so when you've got people with that mindset that everybody comes to the table with the willingness to, you know, open, you know, their hearts and minds and say, okay, you know, and the team will, will have a, a better sort of sort of intuition as to, you know, how and, and, and where we need to go than any any individual around this group and if you genuinely believe that you you check your intellect uh, ego egotistic uh, sort of mind out and you you show up with that mindset if you got everybody doing that then that's that's collaboration do you feel like the tool sets that are currently available are adequate for what we need to be doing or what what, what do you think the strong and weak points are of the way that people are interacting or designing or with the new set of restrictions we have currently, right? And it's now July, 2021. What is, how do you feel about, let's say the tools you're equipped with or the things we're using together to collaborate across time and space? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I you know, the, this, this recent experience with, you know, 
boards like you know like mural or miro this is something i've discovered over the last you know 18 months or so and i you know so i've nibbled on it a little and then but then recently you know we really you know sort of shift gear and make this a standard in our organization i think that's fantastic we're we're now even taking other tools that we were using in a different environment and bringing bringing those tools to to these platforms so that it becomes it becomes a standard way of working so i think that's great i think that the remote event capability is 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 something that you know we kind of took as kind of a substitute to a certain degree at, you know early on in in the in the pandemic but uh, i have to say that you know moving forward regardless of our ability to get together this will stay you know remote event will stay it will it will stay in our toolbox you know and it, it it's it's only going to get better in terms of you know how we can do this and you know i'm not a big tech person but i can see how you would use you know a virtual reality and all that that stuff to to make even the remote stuff uh, even more you know more exciting and then the other the, the last piece i'll throw in there just for fun because we've talked about it uh, a little bit offline is you know i i'd like to see more tools enabling to bring more you know sort of artistic components to the offline or the online part of our getting together mm-hmm. so i think i think there's huge opportunity there i think some people are doing interesting stuff uh, but the i think i think the the emotion that you touched that you touch on is is a huge sort of enabler for for driving change and i can i i i whoever is listening and and you know sort of thinking that they've got something that can contribute to that i think they're on the right track it's not it's not, it's not my uh, i'm more on the, on the you know sort of the science part and all that stuff and but you know the artistic folks out there i think there's tremendous opportunity to to then make these online get together bring emotions to it through different different artistic methods so i i i kind of put that as a challenge to to all the artists out there to surprise us and i like that but they also need some kind of a permission or forgiveness to almost disrupt what you're doing or to to come into the picture, right? So let me give an example. In our event design certificate program some time back when we first did them in June and 2020 online, a very talented artist who is a puppeteer by trade, but also someone that can think, let's say, in that digital box, but then transpose it into something analog. He triggered us with something that we called quarantainment, right? So he brought let's say the arts and entertainment into the quarantine space of where we were currently there. And the element of surprise is a very important one there, right? So one thing, and, and Pierre, I know we spoke about that in our programs, somehow we discover when we put a group of you know 12 to 25 people together, there's always hidden talents that when people are comfortable enough over time, they feel comfortable exposing that talent or bringing it to the table, right? Bringing it to the digital table. So in a recent class, we had somebody that was a, uh, a teacher in a bachelor's degree program who ended up singing opera at our closing cocktail 
you know, and then pulling out a guitar and playing traditional flamenco, you know, folk music. And every time we're surprised by the human element being coming into the game, right? So what you're saying. So what, what I'm toggling with here in my head is like, how do you extend the permission or how do you make them part of the conspiracy in a good way, right? Simon Sinek likes to call that, you know, success is when reality catches up with our imagination, right? So how, how, how do you think you will be employing something like this in your designs? Is there, is there something that you, like in your wildest imagination, is there something that you're thinking about? Because you're working in a highly regulated kind of pharma type environment. What, what does that look yeah. like in your imagination? Well, you... I, you know what? I mean, at, at this stage, it's a sentiment, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I think that, you know, large organization and then in, in, you know, that are sort of science driven on top of that. I mean, those are kind of two, you know, this kind of double whammy, I would say, yeah. uh, you know, but, you know, having said this, I kind of sense that at least where I am right now, the organization where I am, there would be openness to that. And I think, I think you just need to sort of, you know, you just need to kind of be humble about it. Right. And say, look, I mean, we're, you know, we're trying something and uh, let's just give it a shot. You know, what, what's the worst that's going to happen. And what, you know, Ever, you know, most of the time when you when you do that, and if you come with that 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 sort of intent, uh, you're shocked, you're surprised by you know the response. Yeah. And so I think that this is one of those things that I think can and should evolve in, in the way we get together in this environment, this corporate and high science and you know environment, is that we need to uh, you know to give it a shot. I think. Yeah, and I think the human the human factor there is so important, right? What you what you said is, you know, the, maybe the opposite of that passive aggressive is actually that that the humble ability to to leave enough space for people to contribute something that's more humanistic or something that's more, you know, that the thing we crave and why people get together is because you know we are we thrive on communities, we thrive on a sense of belonging, and and sometimes the arts, you know, whether it's music or any other form of expression can really give uh, a very good catalyst to the whole thing. So uh, I really enjoy getting that perspective. Sometimes people tell us that, you know, show me an organization's event and I'll tell you about their culture. When we started off our conversation, you said something quite similar. I think events are a very good way to code and decode culture and, and behaviors of people in an organization. It's an absolute treat to be able to do that with you and your team. So. Thank you for your time on Design to Change podcast, Pierre, and uh, looking forward to the next horizons of change and our conversations that are upcoming. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Pierre. Thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe and share conversations online using hashtag Design to Change and hashtag Event Canvas. Want more thought-provoking content like this? Visit designtochange.online to purchase your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Don't forget, it's more than just a book. Experience a hard copy, audio format, video format, and even augmented reality. Experience it in your style and format. Tune into our next episodes and hear from more designers and change makers. Until then, we look forward to our next conversation. Come first,